Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 392nd episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Do you want to save money at the grocery store, eat more organic, whole foods, cultivate food security, and feel more connected to the earth? If so, then growing your own food is a no-brainer. You wouldn't believe how many people come to me claiming that they can't grow their own food. They think they don't have enough space, that they're too busy, or that they simply don't have what it takes. Perhaps you've fallen for one of these gardening myths. If you think you can't grow food, or if you think the only food that you have access to is what you buy in the grocery store, I have a life-changing webinar that you need to see. It's free and will help you unearth your inner gardener. I've helped thousands of people just like you learn to grow their own food. And I'm speaking from my own experience when I say that with the right knowledge in place, there is no such thing as a black thumb. With this webinar, you can begin making your garden dreams come true and start growing delicious, nutritious food for your family. Just text GARDEN to 44222 or go to IWantToGarden.com and you will receive our free webinar about the seven key factors you need to know to grow your own food. Remember, that's GARDEN to 44222 or IWantToGarden.com. Today on our podcast, we have someone who knows the secret of building healthy soil. We're talking with Gabe Brown about beneficial soil ecosystems. Gabe is one of the pioneers of the current soil health movement, which focuses on the regeneration of our resources. Along with his wife, Shelly, and son, Paul, he owns and operates a diversified 5,000-acre farm and ranch near Bismarck, North Dakota. Their ranch focuses on farming and ranching in nature's image. The Browns holistically integrate their grazing and no-till cropping systems, which include a wide variety of cash crops, multi-species cover crops, along with all-natural grass, finished beef, and lamb. They also raise pastured laying hens, broilers, and swine. This diversity and integration have regenerated the natural resources on their ranch without the use of synthetic fertilizers, pesticides, or fungicides. Gabe is the author of Dirt to Soil, 
published by our friends at Chelsea Green. Welcome to the show today, Gabe. Are you ready to rock natural pastures? Absolutely. Excellent. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? Well, thank you, Greg. It's a pleasure to be with you. So I was born and raised in the city of Bismarck. I was not brought up on a farm, and I just took an interest in agriculture while I was in high school, attending vocational agriculture classes. And I had the good fortune in that I married a young lady who was from a farm, and she had two sisters and no brothers. So I was the one who was fortunate enough to be able to come back and learn alongside my father-in-law and learn how to farm and ranch. Unfortunately, I learned the industrial commoditized type of a production model and spent eight years working alongside him. And then we had the good fortune to be able to buy a portion of the ranch. And it just didn't make sense to me some of the things we were doing. I went no-till in 1993. We had purchased the operation in 91, went 100% no-till in 93. And then I had the real good fortune of 1995, we lost 100% of our crop to hail. 1996, we lost 100% of it to hail again. 1997, we dried out. It was a major drought in the area, and we never combined an acre. 1998, I lost 80% of our crop to hail. And I tell people that that was really difficult to live through and to be able to continue farming without any uh, crop income like that. But it was absolutely the best thing that could have happened to me because the bank was no longer willing to loan me any money to buy all these expensive inputs. Mm -hmm. So I had to learn, how am I going to make this land productive without that? Yeah. So it sent me on a 20 plus year journey of learning how soil ecosystems function. Mm -hmm. And what was one of the more valuable lessons that you learned through that? Well, in my book, Dirt to Soil, I write about this journey and I write about the people I met along the way. And I tell people that Gabe Brown really isn't very intelligent. I'm just very good at picking up pieces of information and applying them on my operation. There was many that really affected me, but one of the real defining moments in my operation, there was probably two of them. One was when I met a gentleman by the name of Dr. Adamir Caligari from Brazil, and he talked about that we can't grow species of plants in monocultures. Plants evolved over time to be grown in diverse ecosystem, and that's how they best live and survive and produce. And then I also had the good fortune in 2003, I met Dr. Chris Nichols, who was a soil microbiologist. And she told me, Gabe, your soils are never going to be as good as they can be unless you remove the synthetic inputs because you're having a negative effect on soil biology. And it's the biology in the soil, of course, that supplies the nutrients needed for the plants. And so that challenged me then to reduce and eliminate the synthetic inputs. And that was a real defining moment in my learning process. And it's working though. It is working. And what's really encouraging to me is now we're working to quantify the data on our operation. I'm working with 
a number of different researchers and groups that are quantifying, okay, have we been able to advance soil health? And I'll just give you a couple of ways that show that we are making advancements. For instance, in 1993, the organic matter levels on our cropland were from 1.7 to 1.9%. Today, they're from 5.3 to 7.9%. Wow. So we're storing much more carbon. Mm-hmm. Dr. John Norman, who is a partner in a group called Landstream, has quantified that we now have 96 tons of carbon stored per acre on our operation. Wow. Well, what's one of the big challenges we're having right now with climate change? We have too much carbon in the atmosphere, not enough in our soils. Well, By what we've been able to do on our ranch, we've proven that we're able to, through growing plants, being grazed by livestock, we're able to take more carbon out of the atmosphere and put it into the soil. We also have research that shows that in 1993, I could only infiltrate a half of an inch of rainfall per hour, which isn't very much. Right. I had a team of scientists led by Dr. Jonathan Lundgren here, and they have video where we can now infiltrate an inch of rainfall in nine seconds and the second inch in 16 seconds. Wow. So we took soil that was a half of an inch per hour, and now we can infiltrate two inches in 25 seconds. We can easily infiltrate 20 inches of rainfall per day. Now, near Bismarck, North Dakota, where I ranch, we only get about 11 inches of rainfall a year. Mm -hmm. So every raindrop that falls, it's critical that I infiltrate it. And I think this is playing out one of the challenges we're having all over North America and globally for that matter. We've destroyed the soil ecosystem to the point we're no longer able to infiltrate that water. Then we're not able to store it there because we've lost the carbon in the soil. And if we don't have those soil aggregates, we don't have the home for biology, so we've destroyed the nutrient cycle also. So tell everybody why what you just said is important. It's important for a whole host of reasons. And I write about this in my book. I travel a great deal speaking to various audiences. And I tell them no matter the ills we're seeing in society today, whether it being that uh, climate change, we're seeing these wide swings in temperature and moisture, we can heal that through regenerative agriculture and these practices. If we're seeing areas where moisture is a limiting factor, we can heal Heal that with regenerative agriculture and take it a step further. We have a human health crisis in this country. You know, the United States spends more on health care than any other country in the world. Yet last statistics I saw, we were at the top or near the top in cancer, ADD, ADHD, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, autoimmune diseases, diabetes, and the list goes on and on. Yeah. There's a growing number of people in the healthcare industry who are convinced that that's directly tied to the lack of nutrient density in the food we eat, which is directly tied to the fact that we've destroyed our soil ecosystem. Mm-hmm. I just had the good fortune of spending a week with Dr. Zach Bush. Dr. Bush is one of the premier cancer doctors in the country, and he is convinced that The reason we're seeing the high rates of cancer we are in this country is because of our current production model in agriculture and the fact that we've destroyed the nutrient cycle and these foods are no longer nutrient dense. 
we can get the nutrient density back into the foods if we heal our soil ecosystem. This is not only for farmers and ranchers, but it's certainly for gardeners also. Anyone with a home garden needs to pay attention to this also. And how do you go about regenerating soil? That's a great question. And in my book, I share the five principles of a healthy soil ecosystem. Ooh, do tell. The beauty of these five principles are that no matter where in the world you are, if there's production agriculture, and I'm talking about not only large-scale agriculture, I'm talking about gardens, even if a person has a flower pot on their deck, mm -hmm. the same principles apply. Those five principles quickly are, number one, least amount of mechanical or chemical disturbance possible. We don't want to till the soil, and we do not want to add chemicals, synthetic chemicals. Second principle is armor on the soil. We don't want to leave our soil exposed. We don't want bare soil. That has negative ramifications on soil biology, on water infiltration, on soil erosion. Third principle is diversity. We need diversity. Look at agriculture today. It's all monocultures. You see corn, you see soybeans, you see cotton, you see wheat. Monoculture, monoculture, monoculture. Where in nature do you find monoculture? Very seldom. Fourth principle is a living root in the ground as long as possible throughout the year. The soil needs to be covered and soil biology needs to be fed and it's fed by root exudates from living plants. We have to have living plants. One of the problems in agriculture today is farmers grow a cash crop for only a short amount of time throughout the year and there's no living plant. Thus, you're not feeding biology, you're not improving the nutrient cycle. Fifth principle is animal integration. You know, and by that, I mean not only livestock, I mean insects, I mean wildlife. They play a key role in developing a healthy soil ecosystem and, believe it or not, in taking carbon out of the atmosphere and putting it into the soil. So we need to integrate animals back onto the landscape. Mm -hmm. Those five principles are universal anywhere in the world where there can be production agriculture. Well, and this is even for like backyard farmers as well, or gardeners watching you go through these five steps. And these all are pertinent for my gardens in my front and backyard. Absolutely. Cool. And your book is called Dirt to Soil, One Family's Journey into Regenerative Agriculture. It's coming out like right now, is it not? That's right. It's being shipped from the printer on Thursday. So a new release. I was fortunate that Chelsea Green sought me out and asked me to write this book and tell about our family's journey, how we took very degraded topsoil. And I'll give one example. The cropland fields I have on our ranch, when I started the topsoil, was only four to five inches deep. Today, we have topsoil 28 to 29 inches deep. We're able to grow topsoil by using these regenerative practices. Mm -hmm. So I took dirt, and now we truly do have living soil. Wow. So for somebody with a small plot of land, you know, maybe a thousand square feet to a third of an acre. If you were standing in front of their property and looking at it, you know, the soil was dirt and it needed help. What might you suggest for them to do? The first thing I do, and I have the good fortune, I'm on hundreds of farms and ranches and gardens all over the world, really, every year. Mm -hmm. And the first thing I do when I walk on a new piece of land is I run through those five principles in my mind. Okay, have they tilled the soil? Are they using synthetics? And to what extent? 
Do they have armor? Is the soil covered or do I see bare soil? Do they have diversity? Is there multiple species growing there? Do they have something growing as long as possible throughout the year? And do I see any birds, any insects, any wildlife, any livestock, depending on the size of the operation? So I've actually been, you know, in people's gardens in town, and I can go through that list because Yes, they're not going to have a cow in the backyard, but they can certainly have songbirds. They can have insects. You know, do you see bees? Do you see the pollinators? Do you see predator insects that help ward off the pests? You know, you can go through these five principles wherever you are. Mm -hmm. That's what we have. I have a third of an acre in north central Phoenix. And, you know, our backyard is probably 7,000 square feet. And I have chickens that free range back there. That's fantastic. You know, they're becoming part of my ecosystem back there. They eat bugs, they eat weeds, they, you know, poop and give me fertilizer and give me eggs every day. So it really can be that simple. A win-win situation. Yeah. So if I were to drive up your driveway at your ranch, what would I be looking at? Tell me what happens there on a day-by-day basis and, you know, what do you produce? So... We get a lot of visitors to our ranch. During the summer months, we'll have between 2,000 and 2,500 visitors come through the ranch. And we have an open-door policy on our ranch. Anyone can come to our ranch at any time and look at whatever they want. And if you come up our driveway, it's a half a mile from the main road. You're driving up into the farmstead. What you're going to see is life. I tell people that when I was in the conventional, industrialized, commoditized mindset and production model, I I used to wake up every morning trying to decide what I was going to kill that day. Was it going to be a weed? Was it going to be a pest? Was it going to be a fungal disease? I was going to kill something. Now I wake up every day. How do I grow and attract more life on our operation? So driving up our driveway, you're going to see a tremendous amount of diversity. You're going to see a lot of different trees. We've planted over 1,800 fruit and nut trees Wow! just in the past three years. My wife and I have planted over 20,000 trees since we purchased this operation in 1991, you're going to see a variety of different cash crops, anything from rye and hairy vetch and barley and oats and peas and flax and lentils and a tremendous amount of different cash crops. You're going to see a lot of different livestock. We have cow-calf pears. We raise grass-finished beef. We have a flock of sheep and raise their lambs up to grass finish. You're going to see pastured pork out on pasture. And we finish that pork on pasture. We have over 1,400 laying hens out on pasture that are producing eggs. We raise several hundred broilers every year. We have a very large vegetable garden. Most years we're growing between 10 and 15 acres of vegetables. And it's not a monoculture. You'll see corn with peas and beans climbing up it, sweet corn that is. Tremendous amount of diversity on our operation. Wow. And this is a polyculture. You're really looking to nature and natural systems to see how these are all going to work together. That's right. What we're trying to do is mimic a native ecosystem. And the northern plains where I'm at in North Dakota, it was large herds of bison and elk were migrating across the plains, being moved by predators. Well, with our livestock, we move our cattle and sheep on a daily basis during the growing season. And 
They have fresh grass every day. We're moving them daily, mimicking what the bison did centuries ago. Mm -hmm. This gives us very, very healthy, resilient pastures. And our livestock graze the vast majority of the year. There is a short time, you know, in North Dakota here. We do get winter, so there's a short time that the livestock are still out on the land, but they are being what we call bale grazed. We set bales out there on the landscape for a short period of time during the winter, and then they graze on those during the winter. But we're trying to mimic native ecosystems as best we can. Well, it sounds like you're doing a pretty good job of it. Thank you. Yeah, you bet. So you shared with us a little earlier how, you know, year after year after year, you know, your crops failed from hail to, you know, whatever else happened. What pushed you to go here in the first place? And, you know, how did you end up coming out the other end being successful? I tell people it was by the grace of God, because who else would have been challenged with four years of crop failures and yet allowed the opportunity to dig themselves out from that hole? Well, I first started down the path. The bank wouldn't loan me any money anymore in order to buy inputs. So I had to determine, okay, how can I make money at this ranch, on this ranch, without those expensive inputs. So I actually went to the library and I researched Thomas Jefferson's journals. What was he doing on his plantation in order to grow healthy crops centuries ago? Well, I found out he was growing vetches and turnips and using that as a cover crop. And I read that and I thought, well, I can do that here. I remember the first time I walked into the local seed company, I told them, I wanted 250 pounds of turnip seed. Well, they were trying to figure out how many of those little packets it would take, you know? Right. I mean, they weren't used to somebody having a request like that. But that started me down the path. What I noticed, though, those four years of crop failure, think of what I was really being taught. Okay, I had three years of hail, so all of that above-ground biomass was pounded down onto the surface. That gave me the residue, the armor, on the surface. And then I started following Thomas Jefferson's idea, planting these, at that time, I didn't call them cover crops. I was just trying to plant something as forage for my livestock. But that gave me diversity, you know, and then I started grazing my livestock on there. So I started integrating animals. So it was a real lesson learned just from the circumstances that happened. Beautiful. So I'm going to shift on you, and I would like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure, and what you learned from it. I tell people that on our ranch, my family tries to fail at something every year. <laughs> because if we don't fail at something, we're not learning. Mm -hmm. So I try, now I try different cover crops. As a matter of fact, today, I was out seeding what's called winter barley. You seed it in the fall, and then hopefully it lives through the winter, even in our cold winters, and, you know, will grow next spring. Now, we're really far north in the U.S. to even attempt this, but somebody's got to try it, so I'm going to. Well, one of the failures that really stuck out in my mind is that even though I was no-till on my large-scale grain operation, I was still tilling our garden, and I used a refractometer to take bricks reading. Mm -hmm. And that gives you a rough indication of nutrient density in 
different plants. Well, I noticed that what I was producing in my cash grain fields was much higher in bricks than in our garden. I just remember thinking to myself one day, Gabe, you idiot, you're not following the principles of nature. (laughs) You have to stop tilling this garden. So now the garden has been no-till for about 20 years now, and we can just tell Everyone who gets produce, buys produce from us at the farmer's markets, etc., they comment that they've never tasted vegetables like that. Well, a big part of that is because we're applying these same principles on our garden. And that's so important. It is. I tell people the only time I dig in my gardens here at the urban farm is when I'm digging a crop out, so like sweet potatoes or carrots or something like that. And then to remove our two noxious weeds here are Bermuda and nutgrass, and they have to be dug out. But the rest of the time, what I do is I'll come in and I'll put two or three or four inches of a nice rich compost or planting mix on top and plant. No digging, just do that. And I too, in my front yard, have topsoil that's at least 18 to 22 inches thick. Beautiful. Yeah. Just by adding organic matter right on top and then letting the roots and the plants do the work for us. That's right. So what do you consider your biggest success? I think my biggest success is that I overcame the peer pressure of staying in the industrialized, commoditized market. And I have thick enough skin that, you know, I have a saying, people laugh at me because I'm different. I laugh at them because they're all the same. (laughs) Right. I was able to put up with that. But my biggest, most rewarding thing is seeing my son take over the operation. Mm. He wanted to take over this operation. And to me, you know, for my wife and I to see him and how he's grown and that he's wanted to carry this on, that by far is the thing I'm most proud of. Yeah. So what do you see for the future of your ranch with him? That's going to be up to him. We actually have a 200-year plan for our operation. You know, many of the nut trees I'm planting now, I won't see them bare probably, but we're doing that for future generations. We are very challenged here in that our ranch is actually located in the city of Bismarck's jurisdiction. And just here two weeks ago, I found out they're going to be putting a four-lane highway through the eastern part of my land. And I'm not very happy about that, obviously, but sometimes you can't control things like that. I really see Paul going down the path that this is going to be an urban farm is what it's going to be. And It won't be the large-scale grain farming that we're doing now. It's going to be one of more fruits and vegetables and smaller type of livestock. But that's for him to decide. How many acres do you have? Yeah, we own 1,400 acres, and then we lease another 2,600. At one time, we were over 6,200 acres, and we're actually shrinking the size of our operation. Mm -hmm. We're letting go of some of that lease land because as we stack enterprises— We don't need near as much land. Right. And our goal is to get more people farming, not fewer. Yeah. Well, and quite honestly, 1,400 acres is a nice big chunk of land that you can raise a lot of food on. We certainly can. It's more than enough to provide a comfortable living for several families and to feed hundreds of families. Yeah. You know, my listeners know that I'm always looking for epic because one of my teachers, Larry Santoyo, talks about going out in the world and doing epic stuff. And I just want to call you out on something. When you said that you had a 200 year plan 
for your ranch. I got chills all the way down to my toes. That is truly epic. That is amazing. Congratulations on that. Well, thank you. And I have had several people ask me questions about that. And I read a little about it in the book. And I tell them, you know, I honestly believe we're borrowing the land from our children and grandchildren. Mm -hmm. I want to do the best I can to make sure that they can make a living off this. And part of doing that is having the foresight to think ahead and give them opportunity and options. And that's one of the reasons we're planting all these fruit trees and nut trees and we're growing this topsoil. And I tell people, you know, I have never been on any farm or ranch anywhere in the world including my own, that's not degraded. Because if you really study soils, you will understand that we've degraded all of our ecosystems. I need to do the best I can to regenerate those ecosystems so that future generations can have the opportunity to be sustainable. One of my favorite quotes, and I'm drawing a blanket who said it, but he said, if you're not thinking beyond your lifetime, you're not thinking big enough. Yeah, I agree with that one. That was a sweet moment for me in almost 400 podcasts when you said that. And for those of you out there that are listening, I challenge you to plan your life and your food life, your farm life out at least 50 years, if not 200. I agree. So what drives you? As I said earlier, I was born and raised in town. All my adult life as a farmer rancher, I was told I would never make it. I would fail. There's no way a city kid's going to make it farming or ranching. <laughs> then when we went through those four years of natural disasters, I had neighbors licking their chops thinking they were going to be able to buy this land. That was failure to that magnitude was not an option. There was no way I was going to let that happen. You know how it is. The more you learn, the more you know the more responsibility you have. Uh -huh. And I am driven by the fact that the food we're producing, whether it be me or someone else, has ramifications on someone's children and then through epigenetics on someone's grandchildren. And, you know, our ecosystems, our water, you know, the air we breathe. Everything we do on a farm and ranch has compounding or cascading effects. Now, these can be either positive or negative. Well, the more I know, the more I realize I really have to pay attention to everything I do. And now I'm driven by the fact that I need to educate as many people as possible, both consumers and farmers and ranchers, as to what drives healthy ecosystems. Beautiful. So if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? The one book for anyone, whether it be a gardener or a farmer or a rancher, would be A Soil Owner's Manual by John Sticker. And this book outlines those five principles of a healthy ecosystem that I talked about. It's a simple, easy to read book that is applicable to any gardener, any farmer, any rancher out there. Perfect. And what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? I'll give away a little bit of the ending of my book. You know, we need to do something to change the way we farm and ranch today, not only in this country, but all over the world, also the way our food is produced. And I challenge those out there who are consumers and are, who are purchasing food, which we all do, to use their buying dollar as a tool to drive change. 
because, you know, for years, America, especially the United States, has had a cheap food policy. Mm -hmm. Look where it's gotten us as far as human health. Look where it's gotten us as far as water quality, as far as air quality. We need to change that. And all of us as consumers can change that with our buying dollar. Nice. I wholeheartedly agree. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Gabe. Thank you. It was my pleasure. So I have two questions for you. I normally ask the how our listeners can get a hold of you. So let's start there. The listeners can get a hold of me. Believe it or not, I freely give out my cell phone. So it's 701-527-5570. My email is brownranch at B-E-K-T-E-L dot com. Now, I will warn you, I average between 100 and 400 emails and phone calls a day. Yep. So please leave a message, but I will get back to you. You can check out our website, brownsranch.us or soilhealthconsultants.com. Perfect. And why should we buy your book? You know, I've kind of reviewed your book, and I think it's extraordinary. Why should somebody buy it? I think this book has applications to anyone for the fact that it shows from both a production standpoint and a consumer standpoint the ramifications of the current production model. And I really believe it gives all people hope. We can change our ecosystems. We can regenerate our ecosystems and truly make this world a better place for future generations. Perfect. Thank you. You can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash brown ranch. We are your urban farming resource. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Also visit urbanfarm.org to find articles, podcasts, webinars, courses, and more. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Claiming your inner urban farmer is easy. Grow food, share it, and name your farm. Then let the world know you're an urban farmer while supporting our podcast. Pick up your urban farmer bling, hats, and t-shirts at imanurbanfarmer.com. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's 
denaliecanning.com forward slash free.